0: Thank you for listening to the Soul City Church podcast. Be sure to follow us on our Facebook and Instagram at Soul City Church. For more information, visit us on our website, SoulCityChurch.com. Well, welcome to Soul City Church. How are you doing? All eleven o'clock. How are you doing today? Beal. Beal. That's okay. How are you doing? Eleven o'clock. It's good to see you today. Thank you. Thank you. Good to see those of you who are here at our local church here in downtown Chicago, those of you who are worshiping with us online through our global church, we're so glad that you carved out this time. As Jeannie said, we're all about transformation. That, that means that we want you to know and grow in a relationship with Jesus. We want you to know him and we want you to grow in that relationship with him. And that's why we do everything we do around here. Uh, my name is Jarrett. I'm one of the lead pastors. I'm married to that preacher and apparently now worship leader that was up here a minute ago. I mean, she's just like, we're going to do this song again. So, uh, I won't be singing today, but I'm so, so, so glad that you are here. We are actually kicking off, like Jeannie said, a brand new teaching series that uh, I've been excited about since back in the fall. John and I started putting this together. And I think what God wants to lead us through, not only this weekend, but over the next four weeks, and I hope you join us for each of these four weeks. I hope you you, you join us online, you join us here in Chicago, because what we're going to be looking at is what I think is at the heart of. Uh, what uh, so much divides us? Why we're so divided in this moment? You feel that, like, no matter what you, you you post online, someone's got a hot take on it, right? No matter what you say, someone's gonna tell you you're wrong, and we just feel like we're at each other's throats. Anyone feel it's just our whole culture right now feels like it's at each other's throats? So we're gonna get to the heart of why I think that is, and what it is that Jesus is inviting us into, because I believe Jesus has for you, for me, for all of us, He has a much better vision for our lives, and it involves a much bigger table than we might have ever imagined. But before we we get into that and before we get into our text today, which I'm warning you in advance, we're going to go through a lot of verses today. So you need to get ready for that. Before we get to that, I thought what would be fun for us to do together is a little pop quiz. Who doesn't love a pop quiz, especially in summer? Oh, people get excited. So you're going to do a little pop quiz. Now, this is so easy. You don't have to study for this. You don't have to prepare for this. It's a this or that quiz. All you have to do is shout out which answer you choose, all right? So you just have to shout it out. Is it this or is it that? So in this room, you just shout it out to me so I can, you know, keep score. And then if you're worshiping with us online, just type it in the comment section. And if you feel passionately about like the this or the that, maybe you type in all caps or you yell really loud. It's really simple. All you gotta choose is this or that. Now here's the deal, you don't get to say both. You don't get to say neither. You just have to pick one and we don't need to hear your explanation as to why we don't have time for that. It's a simple pop quiz. Okay. So I'm just going to put a couple things up on the screen. You just shout out which one just don't even think about it. All right. So the first one we'll do our little this or that quiz. First one is going to be this uh summer or winter. That's right, Chicago winter. What we forget about it every year this time of year, and then it reminds us. That's right, summer and winter. So maybe you're a summer person, maybe you're more of a winter person. All right, that was easy. Uh, How about this: morning person or night owl? Shout out. Okay, okay, all right. Some of the night owls are still waking up. Okay, I'm glad, I'm glad you're here. That's good. All right, now this one's really important. I think this determines a lot about each of us, and it's kind of regional for those of you who aren't with us here in Chicago. Uh, Deep dish or boring pizza? Which is your, again, which is your, the kind you can get anywhere, or a whole pizza in one slice? Which one, which one do you choose? I'm deep dish, I got it. just deep dish all the way. Uh, all right, now this is super regional, and I know this, is, this could cause a division in our church. This may tear our whole church down in one question. Uh, socks or cubs? Which are you? <laughs> cubbies, lot or cubbies? Okay, socks, okay, okay, okay. St. Louis fans, sorry, you're in the wrong room. Cards fans, you're in the wrong room. All right. uh, Boy, this one's important, and I think all of us have to come to a point where we have to make this decision. So again, I just want you to shout it out. Don't overthink it. Just go with what your heart tells you. Here's the next one. Uh, Bachelor or the Bible. Uh, You have to choose. Go ahead. Shout out. No, no. Go ahead. You have to choose one, the Bachelor or the Bible. And that's it. Those are your only two choices. That's all all you can say. Jeannie's like, people actually love The Bachelor. I'm like, I know they do. And some people who love The Bachelor love God. I don't understand. But, all right. But I'm going to save my judgments for later. Uh, all right, somewhat of a regional one uh, for us. So again, we want you to play along online. Uh, but you've got to choose, okay? So you've got to just, first one, Michigan or Wisconsin? Michigan or Wisconsin? Michigan. No. Sorry, Indiana. You didn't even, sorry. We love you. You just, you didn't make the list, I know, for... I think you know why, but anyway, yeah, yeah, so some of us are more Michigan people, some of us more Wisconsin people, all right, uh, two more, uh, TikTok or Instagram, what are you, go ahead, yeah. TikTok, oh, 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 got kind of a, all right, revealing some of the age demographic in the room here, all right, shout out to the guy who said Facebook, all right, good, you're, you're, why are still around, awesome, uh, last one, let's just be honest, we've got to be honest with the one, is, is this going to be a hot guy, hot girl summer, or not this summer, what's your answer to that one, be honest, hot guy, hot girl summer, not this summer. I got some work to do before that. That COVID hit hard, so I got some work to do. Okay, now, great job. Everyone, great job. Those of you worshiping online, great job. Thank you for putting that in the comments. Uh, what does a, like, a silly quiz like that have anything to do with God or specifically the text that we're going to be looking at today? I, I think the, the reason I wanted to, to start with that is because I think it actually reveals something about, about you and me, about our brains, the way our brains actually work that you may not even no, I wanna let you know something about your brain that I didn't know until I was studying or, and preparing really for this message. I began to understand it more. Here's the truth. I want you to know about how your brain works. You have to understand the truth about your brain is your brain is lazy. My brain is lazy. We just have lazy brains. Uh, it's just kind of the, the way it works. And if you've ever read Daniel Common's uh, incredible, incredible book, Thinking Fast and Slow, incredible book, Thinking Fast and Thinking Slow, He explores and explains how the majority of the decisions that you make in your life are actually filtered through or made through the limbic system of your brain. And in the limbic system of your brain, the way it kind of works is it's trying to actually um, process things as quickly as possible. Here's the problem with the limbic system of your brain. It is the least developed part of your brain. So this is where you make the majority of your decisions and it's the least developed part of your brain. It operates at a subconscious, or at the very least, an emotional level. See, what your limbic system is always trying to do with everything that you encounter throughout your days, it's trying to do, kind of uh, get the most amount of work done with the least amount of effort. I think we're all trying to do that, right? But your limbic system tries to get the most, you know, like compute the most it can with the least amount of effort. And to do that, what the limbic system in your brain does is it likes to put things into categories. That's just how it can reference things quickly and kind of know where things fit in an otherwise kind of chaotic and even at times mysterious world. So the limbic system in your brain works with categories. It it decides either this or that. This is this or this is that. This is this or this is that. Kind of like we just did in, in that quiz. Now, when it comes to making quick decisions, that's obviously incredibly helpful, especially if that decision involves fear or a threat, right? That can be incredibly helpful to know. Nope, not that, this, you know. But while it can be incredibly helpful with those kinds of decisions, it can be incredibly hurtful when it comes to people. Because the same way that our limbic system works with things, it also actually works with people. And what our brains like to do is put people into categories. It just puts just just even just one picture, one look, one comment, it puts someone into a category. And each of these subconscious sort of categories all have their own meaning or their own bias or their own assumptions attached to them. And so what ends up happening, thank you, what ends up happening is your brain, without you even realizing it, your brain just starts making little lines, little categories, especially as it relates to people. Because what happens is the, the limbic system in your brain always defaults to dualism, this or that, and it puts people into groups, not only by category, but here's the part that none of us like to really admit. It does it by value. So it's not only just, cat- oh, this is this type of person. It has value. It has story. It has meaning attached to it. Let me just give you an example of how the limbic system in each and all of our brains works. It just operates quickly, black and white, and that means something different to every one of us, black and white, rich and poor. Those have stories to us. Gay and straight, Christian and Muslim, vaccinated and unvaccinated, Democrat and Republican. Essentially, the way it works is this, in and out. Or let's get more specific, us and them. Hmm. That's what's going on in all of our brains all of the time, whether we like to admit it or not. And this kind of neurological shorthand happens in a second, but it can carry a lifetime of judgment and bias and division and racism and separation and ultimately dehumanization. That's, what, that's what's happening. And I honestly think this is at the core At the heart of so much of the division and the distrust that we're experiencing right now in our culture, because we don't want to do the slow thinking of, let me get to know this person. I would rather put them into a category, preferably of them. Are you one of us? Or are you one of them? Okay, here's the deal. We all do it all the time. No one's like, not me. I am so socially and consciously evolved. I would never put anyone into any category. Here's the truth about socially, consciously evolved people. You judge people who aren't as socially, consciously evolved as you. Like, if you were on my level, you wouldn't have those thoughts. No, you see, we do it. We just can't help but do it. I do it with people. I I've, I've do it with people. I can do it with people groups I've never even met before. Just this last week, I was preparing and getting our thoughts together i've been working on the sermon for a while so i was so excited i happened to be online at one point probably avoiding the work of this message and i'm going through my social feed and i see a friend of mine repost something from someone that i already don't like here's the deal i've never met that person and so now i'm judging my friend for reposting this person that i don't agree with and in a second i'm like oh i get oh because you're this oh, you see the world like this. I can have all my little judgments about my friend based on a post he made about a person I've never met before. It happens in an instant, but the damage can last a lifetime. The separation, the division stays with us. And so the question I want us to really wrestle through today and as we continue on through the course of this series is simply this. Do you think God's vision aligns with where you've drawn your lines? Do you think God's vision for you, for your life, for the church, for us, do you think God's vision aligns with all the little places you've drawn your lines? Does God's vision align with that, with what we do again in an instant? Like, okay, let me just, let me get a little more specific. Like when you think in terms of us And them, can we just be honest for a second? Brandon, can I be honest with them for a second, you think? Okay. When we think in terms of us and them, can you be honest? Whose side do you think God is on? We always think God's on my side, the way I see it, right? Us and them? Well, no, God's on my side. But, like, for real, if you were to really push in on this, does this align? Do you think this aligns at all with what God had in mind? with God's vision for you and for me. This can't be it, it can't just be this, especially for his church or those people who are committed to the work of God in the world. We can't keep playing this game. It doesn't work. There has to be a better vision. I would contend a bigger table for everyone. And thankfully, there is. In fact, we've all been invited to it. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to grab a Bible and open up to Acts chapter 10. We are about to go through a chunk of the Bible. Acts chapter 10. Here's the fun thing. There's Bibles under your seats. If you're here in Chicago with us in this room, grab a Bible under your seat and you can turn to page 891 in the Soul City Bibles. That'll get you right to Acts chapter 10. If you're worshiping with us online or it's easier on your phone, open up a tab, open up your app and go to Acts chapter 10. Let me give you some quick context to this vision that we're about to to receive in this invitation that we're about to receive to a bigger table. Now this is, Acts chapter 10 happens not long after Jesus was crucified, was raised by God from the dead, and then ultimately ascended into heaven and entrusted the work of the church, something that had never existed before on the earth, to his first followers. This is not long after the birth of the church, which at this point in Acts chapter 10 had tens of thousands of people already a part of it. All different types of people, rich and poor and young and old, are all getting caught up in this Jesus movement, not that long after he ascended into heaven. There's only one catch about this amazing movement of God. Here's the only catch. It was comprised almost completely of Jewish people, almost exclusively a Jewish Jesus movement. Again, I would contend that this is the lazy brain at work because people just kind of thought, well, Jesus was Jewish. there's his followers, they're all Jewish. This church thing started in Jerusalem, so therefore the church must be for Jewish people. That's who's in, and everyone else, I guess, is out. That's the trajectory that the church was on from when it first began, until Acts chapter 10. Incredibly important moment for the church. I would contend a moment of reformation for the church. Now listen, We're about to read a lot of verses together. I've been warning you about this. Your thumbs may cramp. I want you to know this. So I want you to turn to the person next to you. I want you to hold your Bible. I want you to type it in all caps in the comment section. Look at them in the eye and say, it's about to go down. And you say it just like that, just like Jay. It's about to go down. Look at him. It's about to go down. Because we are going to be cooking through this passage, an incredibly important passage. We're not going to be able to cover everything, but I want to get this going. So let's start in Acts chapter 10, verse 1. And this is very important detail at the very beginning of the story. It says this. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a, everyone say the next word, a centurion. That's important. A centurion, what was known as the Italian regiment of the army. He and all his family were devout, now this is important, they were devout and God-fearing. And this guy, Cornelius, gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. Now, what's important to pay attention to here, it's incredibly important to pay attention to here, is that Cornelius was someone who loved God, who followed God, who was walking in the way of Jesus, but wasn't Jewish. He was Roman. That's how we know. Centurion, part of the Italian regiment, he was Roman. How he heard about or began to follow this God, the God of Jesus, in the midst of a culture, in his culture, that had many, many, almost countless gods, I don't know. But here's someone who loved God, knew God, walked with God, followed God, and yet wasn't Jewish, wasn't an insider. According to those first followers of Jesus, again, the way their lazy brains worked is he'd be out. He wasn't invited into this movement, but he's about to play an incredibly reformational role in the story of the church. Now, Cornelius gets a vision from God. An angel tells him, to send some soldiers, a small little regiment, to to go to a town some 40 miles away from where he was and go get a guy named Peter. And I don't have time to read all these verses, but that's literally all the details that Cornelius gets. Just send some guys to this town, go get Peter. You'll find him. Don't worry about it. And so he does. He sends some guys, and they go down to this town. While they're traveling down there, let's jump down to verse 9. As they're traveling down to go find this guy named Peter in this town, at about noon the following day, as they were actually making their way on their journey and approaching the city where Peter was, Peter actually went up on the roof to pray. Now, that's not uncommon, the way that houses were built in that day in those cultures. The roof was almost kind of like an open air space that was a part of the house. It wasn't uncommon. It wasn't like a slanted. It was a flat roof. So he goes up there to pray, and he became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. Now, how many of y'all have been so hungry, you feel like you were in a trance before, (laughs) like you cannot see straight, it is not a time to make decisions because you're so hungry. This is not that. These are just two things happening at the same time that are important to pay attention to. He's hungry, there's a meal being made, he goes up to pray, but he goes into a trance, a sort of a, a state with God where God's about to unpack something to him that I don't think he would have gotten in any other way. And these are incredibly specific, weird details, but I want you just to stay tuned to this. So now let's jump down to verse 11. This is what he sees in this trance. It says this in Acts 10, 11. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet or maybe like a tablecloth being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. And then a voice told Peter, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Yeah, this gets weirder. I just want to let you know, and we still have a ways to go in this passage. It gets even weirder, right? What is going on here? A tablecloth is being laid over the earth, and then you see in this vision that there's all kinds of animals on it, reptiles and birds, and then God's like, kill, eat. Like, wait, what is actually happening here? Well, when it comes to visions from God, lots of times the significance is in the symbolism. The significance is in the symbols. Maybe you've felt something or one of our prayer team has prayed for you in the prayer hall and they've had a symbol, an image, and it's about what it represents. And so for any devout Jew like Peter, they would have, he would have no doubt honored all of the dietary laws and restrictions found largely but not exclusively in Leviticus chapter 11. It's a a part of, these dietary laws and restrictions are part of what set the people of God apart from the rest of Of the world. They had a point and they had a purpose, but apparently they weren't meant to be permanent. Because what God is inviting Peter to do seems to go completely against everything he was raised to believe. God's essentially telling Peter in a vision Peter, it's time to go keto. Like, I want you, like, it's time to go keto, baby. We're opening up the whole menu for you. And I guarantee you, there's a Christian author somewhere who's made millions off of this. Verse of the Bible, and having a diet for you. But the point is, you can eat, kill, eat. It's all, the table is wide open. So you can understand why Peter responds like he does in in verse 14. Look at what he says back to God in the middle of this vision. He says, no, 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 God, you might be mistaken. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied to him. Listen, I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. Remember those two words. But the voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call, listen to this. Do not call anything. Don't you call anything that God has made clean impure. Don't call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened to him actually three times. God had to keep saying it to him. Don't you call impure anything that God has made clean. And then the sheet was taken back up into heaven. Now, this is what you call a spiritually significant moment. And again, the significance is in the symbolism. God is using food and dietary laws to illustrate that it's not just food that devout Jews like Peter and those first believers had categorized into impure and unclean. It wasn't just food that they were doing that to. It was people. It was people. They had done this sort of in and out thing that we all do. And anyone who wasn't Jewish like Cornelius apparently wasn't in. And somehow they determined that the good news of Jesus, the good news of God's grace just wasn't for them. It's for us, but it's not for them. And so what God is doing here is correcting the record. So still confused, Peter goes with Cornelius' men. They eventually show up at his house and he's like, I guess I'm supposed to go with you? And so he goes back with them to Cornelius' house and he's walking up with them. Verse 27, let's jump down a little bit further to verse 27 it says this while talking with him these are Cornelius's men talking with Peter Peter went inside and found inside of Cornelius's house so he goes into his house and found a large gathering of people and he said to them just so this is the first words he said after walking in the door you are all well aware that it's against our law for a Jew to associate with or eat with or be with a Gentile you understand that I'm not even actually supposed to be here but then he goes on to say this but God has shown me that I should not call now listen not anything what does he say there anyone Anyone. I should not call anyone again before it was food any food anything I should not call anyone impure or unclean so when I was sent for I came without raising any objection now may I ask why am I here? Why did you actually send for me? By the way, I just want to pause and go back a couple verses. That's one of the greatest party entrances that you could ever make. I want you to try this because now that we can actually see and be with people more. I want you to walk into a party just like Peter and be like, look, I don't even want to be here. I don't even like half y'all, but God told me I'm supposed to be here. Where's the charcuterie, right? Like that, like, you know, like strong entrance, Peter, very, very, very strong. Entrance. Now, this is huge. This is incredibly important because Peter's beginning to see God is doing a, a reformation, a transformation of his, his mind, his heart. He's beginning to see that all his categories, all his ins and outs, all his us's and them's just don't work within the work of God. They just don't work within the work of God. So Peter... He just kind of did what he knew to do. He just started laying out the story of Jesus to them. He's in this house and he never would have been here prior to this moment, and yet here he is. And so he starts laying out the story of Jesus and what God had done through Jesus, and the good news of God's grace. And then something happened again that had never happened before. There's a lot happening in this passage. Let's jump down to verse 44 and look at what happens next. It says, while Peter was still speaking these words, telling them about Jesus, while he was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. And the circumcised believers, that's these devout Jewish converts to the way of Jesus, these circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Why is this so significant? Because a couple chapters earlier, something happened that had never happened before in Acts chapter 2, at a day called Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit was poured out onto those first followers of Jesus, and they began speaking in tongues and praising God. It had never happened before, but they were all actually Jewish followers of Jesus. Now we see the same thing happening to Gentiles, to outsiders, to them who as far as we know from this passage, we don't even know if they officially, like technically said yes to Jesus yet. (laughs) They're just hearing Peter talk about it and all of a sudden like no eyes were closed, no heads were bowed, not even a hand in the back had happened yet and the Holy Spirit is poured out over this room and they begin praising God. Again, something that had only been done through insiders was now being done through outsiders and it was completely obliterating Peter's carefully crafted categories. Just blowing them out of the water. So we'll wrap up with this part of the passage, jumping down to verse 47. It says this, so then Peter just, he said to them, he called out to them, okay, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized. Like, I guess this is what we're doing now. This is totally new for me, and, but I, how can I deny them being baptized with water? They've received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few more days. This is massive. I would contend this is a second conversion for Peter. This is a second conversion for Peter. His first was saying yes to Jesus. His second was saying yes to everyone else. Some of us need a second conversion. Some of us said yes to Jesus, but we still got all our boxes, our categories, who's in and who's out. We need to be saved from all of our little ins and outs, all of our little us's and them's. All of us do at some point. This is a turning point moment for the church, a completely new trajectory for the church because what God does in and through Peter then eventually in and through Paul and some of those early leaders of the church was to help them see that God's table is way bigger than anything any of them ever imagined, that all all are invited that there's room for everyone that in God's vision there's no need for this division that's not God's vision no more ins and outs no more us and them this is what God did for peter in that moment and this is what he did for us uh-uh we're not playing this game anymore we're not going to play this game anymore God's table is too big and too long and too wide for there not to be a seat for everyone. And I want you to hear this. I want you to hear this. Not everyone sitting next to you at God's table is going to be like you. Okay? Like not everyone. Some of y'all are looking, like you've been looking for a church for a while now. Like I'm trying to find a church. i did just trying to find a church. And maybe what you found yourself saying is, I just want to find some people like me. Honest, fair, I get it, me too, I totally get that. But if you found a church where you look around and everyone is just like you, maybe keep looking. Because not everyone is supposed to be just like you at God's table. That's the point, you don't listen to me. You don't have to see eye to eye to sit shoulder to shoulder. You don't have, you don't have to see eye to eye to lovingly sit shoulder to shoulder next to the person who's been created in the image of God invited to sit at his table. It's a big table, a much bigger table than anything we could have ever imagined. What God was teaching Peter in that moment, I believe he has for each of us today, it's just simply this. We're just better when the table is bigger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Does anyone know that? You're just, your life is just, you're just, we're just better when the table is bigger. Again, we don't have to agree on everything. We don't have to see eye to eye on everything. That's like, if all we did was that, then we're kind of like a cult. That's not what we're saying here. We're better when the table is bigger. When there's a bunch of people who look nothing like me, who vote nothing like me, who have different stories than me, come from different backgrounds than me, have different perspectives than me. We are better. You are better. I am better. It is better when the table is actually bigger. It's just so much better than anything we could ever craft or come up with on our own. Because the truth is, like if we're being really, really honest, the truth is if left to ourselves, look, here's the truth. The table is always only going to get smaller. If left to me, like if it's just up to me, table's always only going to get smaller. Don't believe me? All the data is pointing to this right now in our culture. All the stats, all the studies point to the power and the effect of polarization and echo chambers how our tables are getting smaller and smaller and smaller, that people always, if left to themselves, will drift to more people just like them. From our political perspectives, to the people group that we surround ourselves with, to our trusted news sources, to our social media feed, this is where we go if left to ourselves. This is where it leads. This is where we end up if we keep playing the in and out, the us and them game. And I don't know what they're serving at this small little table, but it pales in comparison to God's feast set before you at his table. Ain't nothing like that. Don't get me, listen, don't get me wrong. You can have a lot of people at this little table. You can pack this little table with people just like you. But if everyone around your table looks just like you, acts just like you, thinks just like you, your table's too small. My table's too small. It's just far, this is just far easier, if we were to be honest. It's far easier to, to play this game. I just want to get people just like me and see things just like me and agree with everything I agree with and pray the way I pray and sing the way I sing and have the music that I like. And small, 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 small. That's where it leads. That's where it goes to. It may be easier, but that doesn't mean it's better. And so my question for, 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 for each of us, for every one of us today is, is your table getting bigger or is your table getting smaller? Is your table getting, is your table that, of your life, is it getting bigger or is it getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller? The more you find people just like you, is it getting bigger or is it getting smaller? Is it open to anyone and everyone, each one created in the image of God? Is it filled with people that you may have nothing in common with other than your common identity in God? Listen, let me put it this way. Does your life with God, just think about this, does your life with God lead to less or more? Does your life with God lead to less, 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 or more? Is it more expansive? Do you begin to see that there are more and more and more invited and included to the table of God. What do you think God's vision for you is? And I just, just, can I just say real quick, I just want to say a quick word to those of us who've been walking with Jesus for a while. Now, maybe you've been around the block for a couple years now with Jesus. I just want to say something, because that's me. Like, I just want to say something to us, right? It's not them. This is talking to us here on that. Can I just, can we just be honest that we are oftentimes the most guilty of this? Man, we are the most guilty of this oftentimes when the world looks at people who call themselves Christians, all they see is a small little table. This is what they see. And we are most often guilty of this with the least amount of reasons to be, because we've actually experienced and received the grace of God. We should not be the most judgmental and exclusive lot in the bunch, always determining who's in and who's out, who's us and and who's them, and creating all kinds of hoops and loopholes for people to have to come to just to have a seat at the table of God. And what's worse is the smaller and smaller our table gets. Listen, and this is for those of y'all who grew up maybe around a little, like a, conservative theology, I'll just put it that way, the smaller and smaller our tables get, the more and more we believe God cosigns on this foolishness. That this was God's idea. No. This is God's idea. It's a bigger table. And there's a seat for everyone. And if you're having a hard time with that, I get it. I just, maybe this will help. I just want you to remember that there was a point in your life where you were invited to the table. And God made a seat and God made a way and God made room for you. Yes, you. For me. It's so easy to forget that you weren't always at the table. But then you saw, oh, no way, this is for me too. And God invited you in. And you and I, let's be honest, you and I both know I I didn't get my seat at the table because I somehow made the cut with God. It wasn't because, like, I impressed him in the qualifying rounds. It wasn't because of my connections or yours He. He simply invited you and me to his table because of his amazing grace, because of his unconditional love, because that's who he is. And so who am I to tell anyone that there's not a seat at the table for them? Listen, listen to me. God doesn't need you and me to be his maitre d'. You know what I mean? That person at the front of the restaurant that gets to determine who gets a table, when and where, he doesn't need you and me to be his maitre d'. Let him handle that. Again, the vision of Acts chapter 10 is that all, all, all are invited. And that's the vision that we have. And that's our hope for this church. We pray that this church would be a small reflection of the big table of God. That's our hope and our prayer for each of our lives and for this church, that there would always be room for anyone, that you and I would be in loving community, that we would be in spiritual community, that we would be shoulder to shoulder with people we may not see eye to eye with. And listen, I don't, we don't have to agree on everything to make room for anyone. We don't have to agree on everything and see it all the same way to make sure that there's room for everyone. We want to be the kind of people that choose curiosity, that choose conversation, that choose connection over our categories, over our conclusions and our closed doors, that we would be the kind of people that confess that I would be the kind of person and the kind of pastor that would confess my categories, that would out those things in me where I still like to draw lines and that each and every one of us would begin to live into a vision of the bigger table of God. So here's our homework for this week. You did so well at that pop quiz. I thought I'd give you a take-home assignment. Here's your homework because it's one thing to nod your head, but it's another to move your feet to this invitation of God. So here's your homework assignment for this week. Can you have, can you, can we commit, each of us commit to having one conversation with one person who in some way is not like you this week? That's it. One person, one conversation. Who's not like you in some regard? Maybe it's the, their skin. Maybe it's their politics. Maybe it's their faith. Maybe it's a part of their worldview that you would actually have a conversation with them. And I want to be really clear because some of y'all are going to try and do this way. I don't mean in the comment section. That's not a conversation. I mean connection, face-to-face, that there's someone in your world that you need to sit down with this week. And here's all you have to do. You ready for it? All you have to do, Listen. Have them tell you their story. That's it. Just ask them about their story. You don't need to correct them. You don't need to convince them. You don't need to coerce them. You just need to make sure that there's a seat for them at God's table, that they know that. And then if it's appropriate and there's time, tell your story. Share your story with them. And just see in the midst of that moment if you don't get a glimpse of God. See if you don't get a glimpse like, oh, man, I just, I never thought of that before. I'd never seen that before. God, thank you for making this person the way you made them. Thank you that they're a part of my life and my world. Let's introduce our lazy brains to the heart of Jesus this week and maybe begin to see things, see people differently, to own and out our judgments, our prejudices, our preferences, and get a glimpse of God in every single person. Let's start building and being a part of a bigger table. So why don't you stand with me and let's pray towards that end that God would help us do just that. If you'd stand and and if you're worshiping with us online, we take a posture of prayer. Would you even do it right now while you're worshiping with us? We open our hands up. I think it's the only way it's going to go. We can't do is clenched fists, so we open our hands up to God and also to others. That's what we're saying. My hands are open and available to others. And would you just pray with me that we would be those kind of people, that we would be this kind of church? Jesus, thank you that that you had something far better and far bigger in mind. In fact, you even taught about it and talked about it, how there is this banquet table set, and oftentimes it's the people who least expect that they are invited in are the ones who find themselves sitting next to you. And so God, thank you that you invite each and every one of us in. Now, would you help us just embody that with others? Would you help our lazy brains to to do that spiritual transformative work of looking like and thinking like and seeing others more and more like the heart of Jesus. That we would make room in our hearts, in our lives. That we would make room for the work that you want to do. That we would make room for others as they're created in the image of God. We would make room for them. Thank you that you don't invite us to have it all figured out. You just invite us to make sure there's a seat for everyone. And God, would you just help that to be true? Help that to be true of our lives. Help that to be true of our church. Help that to be true of me. I pray in your name.